Our gospel lesson will serve as the basis for our sermon this morning. It comes from Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. It's good to see you. Do you guys recognize this? Do you know what this is? What is it? It's a cup. It's the cup that we use for Lord's Supper here at Mount Olive. Do you know what goes in this cup when we have Lord's Supper? Anybody? Wine. That is also the blood of Jesus. Very good. So today what I wanted to ask you was, you know, right now this cup doesn't have anything in it, right? which means it's full of air, I guess. Like everything else, there's just air in the cup. There's nothing else. But if I wanted to get the air out of the cup, how would I do that? Could I just dump the air out of the cup? Well, there'd still be air in it, right? How could I get the air out? Pour something in it, right? If I filled it up with water to the very, very top, would there be any air in the cup? No, it would be all, it would be all gone if I filled it up to the top. Today we're going to talk about something called greed. You guys probably know what greed is, right? Maybe your parents say, don't be greedy. Greedy is when we want stuff for ourselves. And I think a lot of times we think of greed in terms of stuff or money. I need more money. I need more stuff. But greed is not just a money or a stuff thing. Greed could be in regards to our time. If we only have so much time and we want to use that time for ourselves. Maybe you're going to go to the grocery store with your mom in an hour and you want to get something fun in before you go to the grocery store. You only have an hour and if she asks you to go clean your room, well, that's going to take up time and maybe you wanted the time to do something fun for yourself. You could be greedy with your time. God has given you all different gifts and abilities. Maybe some of you are going to be good at playing sports Maybe some of you are going to be good at using your mind and and reading books and studying things. Maybe some of you are going to be good at talking and teaching. There's all sorts of gifts that God may have given you. I suppose you could use your gifts for yourself instead of using your gifts for others. Today we're going to talk about how our hearts are not full of air, they're full of greed. And just like if we want to get the air out of this cup, We have to fill up our hearts with something to get the greed out. And I think this is actually a really interesting picture because when we have Lord's Supper, this cup is filled up with wine that in a miraculous way that we'll never really understand, 
It's also the blood of Jesus. The same blood that he shed on the cross to take away all of our sins. When our hearts are filled with the love of Jesus, all the greed goes out. And it's actually the only way to get rid of the greed that's in our hearts. The only way that we can stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about serving others and serving God is if the love of God shown to us through the blood of Jesus, which forgives all of our sins, is poured into our hearts all the time to fill them up to the brim and get rid of all that nasty greed. Today we're going to talk about the love of God shown to us, and we're going to see how it impacts the way we view everything we have in this life. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your precious gift of your own blood. You poured it out on the cross to forgive every single sin that we've ever committed, including the sin of greed. We ask that today as we hear your word, you would fill our hearts up to the brim with your love. Drive out all greed from our hearts that we might serve you and our neighbor. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This parable that you heard just a few minutes ago is a rather piercing one. Before we get into it, I want to just spend a few moments talking about the very first verse of this section, lest it get totally forgotten as we focus on on a, a a parable that really has a pretty sharp message for us today. So at the very beginning of the text in Luke chapter 12, we we hear someone in the crowd, and that requires just a little bit of context. At the very beginning of this chapter of Luke's gospel, we're told that a crowd of many thousands has gathered around Jesus, and he spends the first 11 verses just teaching this large crowd all sorts of wise things. And so when this man blurts out from the crowd, realize it's one amongst thousands, okay? That's an interesting detail. And he's heard enough from Jesus, whether all he's heard was what he taught at the very beginning of Luke 12, or he had heard more in the past, he had heard enough to be very confident that this Jesus is a wise teacher whose opinion is valuable, and if he just knew this guy's side of the story, surely this wise teacher would side with him. There's no way that he opens his mouth and blurts out what he's about to blurt out if he's not very confident of what he's going to hear. Right? He, he, he shouts out from the crowd, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's a confident request. He's very confident that his brother is wrong and he is right and that this is important enough To bother the teacher who's teaching thousands of people, he's just one of them, this is a very important thing to him. And Jesus makes it very clear that it is in no way important to him, to Jesus, in any way, shape, or form. Right? He he responds to him with these kind of harsh words that I'm sure the man in the crowd did not expect to hear. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Jesus cares nothing about the request. He could care less if this guy gets his money or not, but he sees an opportunity to teach. And he starts by giving these two really strong warnings. 
Now, they're both given in the present tense, which you might remember in Greek, that's meaningful. It means these are commands that are to stick with you always because the present is always with you. You are always in the present. So for the rest of your days, these are commands for you. Never let up doing these things. Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So constantly on the lookout, never letting your guard down. That's the idea here. Jesus is saying that greed is so powerful and it is constantly trying to get a foothold in your heart. It is constantly trying to push the love of God back out and refill the heart with greed that you need to constantly be watching out and constantly on the guard against all kinds of greed. And we kind of set that up in the children's devotion, right? All kinds of greed. We're not just talking about money and stuff. You could be greedy over your time. You could be greedy over the gifts and talents that God has given to you. The idea here is always watch out for greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then comes this piercing parable that really cuts to the heart of, can I call it an American cultural blind spot? I heard a story recently, uh, just this last week, in fact, of a pastor in our church body who a number of decades ago was called to serve as a missionary in Africa. And when he arrived, he was appalled because the so-called members of his church dabbled in witchcraft. And he couldn't believe it. How could Christians, people who come to my church and, and hear me preach weekly, how could they go home during the week and go to the witch doctor for help? Well, it was so entrenched in their culture, they didn't even really see it. It wasn't obvious to them like it was to him. And many decades later, he brought a local African pastor with him to our nation, to Mequon, Wisconsin. You know what's in Mequon, Wisconsin? That's where I went to school to become a pastor, right? That's our seminary is in Mequon, Wisconsin. And if you know anything about Mequon, Wisconsin, it's not all that different from Swamico, Wisconsin. Lots of big homes, lots of land, three-car garage, and then another big garage with a really big door, right? Lots of space and lots of room for storing stuff. And this pastor from Africa said, this is where the pastors are trained? How can Christians have so much stuff? Maybe a cultural blind spot, an extra challenge for people blessed like us with wealth unlike anything the world has ever really seen, especially amongst common everyday folks. And so Jesus starts telling this this parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Was that bad? Was it bad that he had a bumper crop? Was it bad that he worked the ground and God blessed him with all this stuff? Not at all. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Was that bad? Was it bad for him to to see a problem? To say, you know, it's probably not a good idea for me to just dump all this money in the, the savings account that I opened in college. If I put a million dollars in the savings account I 
I opened in college. I just dump it all in there. Maybe that's not the wisest decision. I got to go talk to a financial planner. I need some more barns. I need some more places to, to put all my stuff. Is that bad? Is that wrong? Well, no. There's nothing wrong with taking care of all the stuff that God gives you. Well, where's he, gonna, where's he going wrong? And he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So where does he go wrong? You know he goes wrong because you know what comes next. God yelling, you fool! Where does he go wrong? Well, you might have noticed as Jesus tells the story, there's a lot of I, 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 my, my, my. Every verb is first singular and every pronoun is first singular. I will, I'll do this, my grain, my barns, my, my, my. There's no acknowledgement of where this stuff came from. None. There's no thanksgiving to the God who, who blessed him with weather and fertile soil and, and vibrant seed. There's no thanksgiving to the God who blessed his ability to work with a, an abundant crop. There's no thought at all to the God who gave the stuff and his only plan is to use the stuff for himself. And of course, that's where the you fool comes from. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. In our second lesson, we heard that we are supposed to put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. There's a lot of potential idols in our countryside. There's a lot of potential idols in our garages and in our homes. There's a lot of potential idols just sitting right here. The gifts that God has given to the people in these pews, those gifts can become your gods. The very time that you have can easily become your God. That's an interesting detail here. The the focus on self is a big problem with this hypothetical man in Jesus' parable. But it's also the fact that he did all of this without an eye on the grave. God calls you and me to manage every single blessing that he has given to us. Yep, the time that he gives us, he wants us to manage that well. The gifts that he has given to us, he wants us to manage those talents and abilities well. The money he gives to us, he wants us to manage that well also. But he wants us to do it with an understanding that we could die at any moment. We sang about it in our psalm, remember? God says to mortals, return to dust. And what happens? We return to dust. We're going to die. That's going to happen. The American dream might be coupled to retirement, but there's no guarantee that any one of us who hasn't yet made it to retirement will. And those of you who have made it to retirement, there's no guarantee of tomorrow. 
I don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. Not a one of us does. And so there's this really pointed warning for all of us. When Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard. You are surrounded by temptations for greed. You are surrounded by temptations to think you're just going to keep on living, to ignore death, to act like it's never going to come for you. And the result are two of the most scary words that I venture to say any of us could ever hear. For the person who falls into the trap of greed, God will say, you fool. And that will be it. There are no scarier words that you and I could hear when we stand before our God to be judged than you fool. The warning here is clear as day. The solution is not to hear a warning and think to yourself, well, I, I got to make a change now. I got to go home today and I got to figure out a way not to be so greedy. That's how warnings often work, right? You go to the doctor and he says, uh, the numbers on the blood results, not good. What's the solution? Go home and do something differently. Put different things into your mouth and... Do more things with your body and come back in a month and we'll see if the number's changed. But you get a warning and then the go do something different. That's not going to work here. The greed that fills our hearts can only be driven out in one way. The love of Christ. When you look at the cross and you see our Savior Jesus hanging there, especially during Holy Week when we're once again focusing on the brutality of Jesus' suffering and death. When you look at him hanging there, do you see the Son of God just teeming with greed? Just filled with greed and brimming over with greed? Is that what you see? You should. Because God literally filled him with every sin. Our God and Father filled Jesus with our greed. And in this nation, there's a whole lot of it. In this room, myself included, there's a whole lot of it. And Jesus was filled up with that greed. Filled up to the brim. God poured out his wrath saying those awful words to his own son, who you and I know was innocent. He had done nothing wrong. But he heard those words, you fool. As he was treated as though he was the one who had a heart full of greed. This is what it means to have the Son of God take our place. This is what it means to have the Son of God be our substitute. He took the punishment that our foolishness deserves, so that you and I would never hear those awful words. And because of the blood of Jesus, we're forgiven. We're forgiven every moment of greed in our life. Every moment of selfishness where we used our time, we used the gifts that God had given to us, the money that he's placed into our lives, where we've used it solely for ourselves, you are forgiven. 
You are at peace because of the blood of Jesus. And when you come here, you don't come here so that we can get your money. You don't come here so that you can give your money. You come here so that your heart can be filled with the love of Jesus. To to pour in the blood of Christ to your heart, whether we have Lord's Supper that particular Sunday or not, and to drive out all the sin, not just the greed, to drive it all out of your heart. Because then you can leave here and you could do something differently. You can leave here with a focus that the rest of the world will never, ever, ever understand. You can leave here with a desire to take all that you are and all that you have and figure out ways to use it to serve your God and to serve your neighbor. That's what it looks like to be rich toward God. There are other texts that talk about all the treasures that are being stored up for us in heaven. But this is not one of them. This is a text that helps us understand what our life looks like right now as managers, stewards of all the things that God has given to us. We leave here with hearts full of Christ, hearts full of God's love, and we say, I want to serve my God and I want to serve my neighbor. And that's going to look different for every single one of you. Every single one of you has different amounts of time. And some of you who have stored up a lot in your barns, you now have more time. And you are able to serve God and your neighbor with your time in ways that you couldn't when you were putting money into the barn. And you have gifts, many gifts, diverse gifts that can be used to serve God and your neighbor. How can you do that this week? I'm not gonna list off a a list of possibilities. I couldn't possibly guess all the different ways that you might be able to, but think on it. How might you use your time and the gifts that God has given to you to serve your God and your neighbor this week? And when it comes to money, I would like to think that we have set up our ministry here at Mount Olive in such a way where the money that comes into this place is going to be used for one of two purposes, to serve God or to serve neighbors. And so maybe this is a good place for your money. But there are many other good places for your money. Gas prices are high high right now, right? Maybe you know someone who could use a gas card and maybe you could give one to them. Maybe you have a family member who's just struggling to make decisions in life because there's financial crossroads. They're not quite sure what to do. Maybe there's a way you could help them. Maybe there's an organization that you know of, an organization in our church body or in our community that that does really good work serving God or serving neighbors. Maybe you could look into the, the ways that your financial gifts could serve there. But of course, the point is stewardship doesn't mean Give your money to the church. Stewardship means manage what God has given to you and manage it well. And to manage it well means to use it to serve your God and your neighbor. And because your hearts are full of Jesus, that's going to be our privilege, our honor, to serve our God and our neighbor with all that we have. That's what it looks like to have a focused life 
as a Christian, a life that properly values financial treasure, a life that properly values time and abilities. Let's do it to God's glory. Let's do it together. Amen.